Canada, our home and native land. I'm not Canadian, but this special episode of Casual Chat, we're focusing on Canada today. There has only been one episode like this, and I'm already making a themed episode. What? So how's everyone doing? We're still in a pandemic over here. Everyone, please wear your masks. I go to the grocery store, there's like 20 people, and like me and three people are wearing masks. Like, what the fuck? Otherwise, how am I doing? Well, I uh, got asked out on a couple of dates, but I'm not really looking for anything right now, and I'm okay on my own. There's just no reason for me to start anything when I'm moving out of state in a few months. One guy asked me out a few times, and every time I tell him no. But uh, he is very persistent, and it was getting kind of creepy, like honestly. I don't know why he will not give up, and like he's even asking me to sleep with him, and it's just like, no, I'm not going to suddenly change my mind and want to sleep with you. I've told you no. I don't, I don't know why some guys can't grasp the concept of the word no, but whatever. I mean, sure, sex is great but only if I want to do it with you. And honestly, it's hard finding the right person, and I don't see any point of hooking up or having kids with the wrong person, which is why I don't have any, or the main reason why. But enough of my boring personal thoughts, so why did I do Canada? Honestly, I was already watching two Canadian shows, so I figured, hey, let's do an all-Canadian episode. The next casual chat will not be themed. Now I have all these Canadian shows to finish, so fuck my life. So let's start with some shows. What am I watching? One show is called Working Moms. It's very entertaining. It has its really funny moments, but also just a lot of really real moments. I like that a lot of Canadian shows have, like, thriller-looking people in them than American shows. Not everyone is a supermodel. The show talks about a lot of real problems women have. Each character has their own set of issues. I'm surprised at how many of these characters have a nanny. Is that, like, a cheaper thing in Canada than in America or something? Are people just paid more in Canada? I don't know. They all... All the characters on the show seem to have good jobs. I did look up for my job, and it just depends on where you live, just like in the US. So let's talk about our ladies and dude. We have Kate Foster, who is a career woman. Funnily enough, she likes hentai. I could never get into that, but you know, whatever works for you. She has a son, and she is working on getting a promotion in another city. She has a loving husband. And he wants her to have another child and is putting pressure on her to do that. Then we have Danny Kine playing Anne Carson. Anne is a psychiatrist who soon after having a baby finds herself pregnant with another child. She didn't want more kids and she struggles with wanting to keep it. At some point, she gets put on bed rest, and I imagine this must be really difficult. She also has a moody daughter who's acting out, which seems like something I'd expect a teenager to do, but her daughter is like, I don't know, like eight or maybe older, I I can't tell. But 
Then there's Juno Rudell, who plays Frankie. She's an older woman who is a lesbian. She had her child through a sperm donor, who she makes up stories about. She is struggling really hard with postpartum depression. She works as a real estate agent, and she's having a really difficult time with connecting with her partner, dealing with her postpartum, you know, all that stuff. Then there's Jesslyn Wanlum playing Jenny Matthews, who after having her child doesn't seem to be interested in her husband anymore. And I have heard of this happening while you're pregnant, but not after you're pregnant, but I, I don't know. Apparently your husband's smell can change. He smells different to you and you may not be as attracted to him while you're pregnant. Or maybe it's postpartum too, I don't really know. And... You know, she already had the baby, and her husband does seem like a really good guy, but she seems to want to cheat on him. She doesn't seem to want to be just a wife and a mother. She's unhappy and doesn't know what she wants. Uh, I, I didn't find her character that likable with all this stuff going on. and she, But I understand she wanted to stay at home with her child and, you know, take care of her, and instead she's being forced to go back to work. And... At work, she's flirting with her boss. So that was season one. In season two, Kate got demoted to a part-time consultant at her job. She gets a second job at a much younger company and puts on a fake face for them. She's trying to balance the two jobs while her husband is still pressuring her to have a second child. Anne is stressed working at home with all the noise. She ends up getting an office space, which brings an old lover she had back into her life. Frankie is now separated from her wife, and she doesn't seem to be that involved with her child since being in the mental hospital. She's staying with her brother, trying to find a job, and trying to find a place so she can be with her child again. And uh, she's getting a lot of sex, like, uh, I guess, uh, good for her. (laughs) Jenny has been replaced by her ex-husband, Ian, who is now a single dad. He's separated from his wife, and he's pursuing a romantic relationship with another woman. He shows some confusion about being back in the dating world. That's basically where I'm at with the show now. Would I recommend this show? I would say yes. It has a good balance of being real, having like real women and men in it, and it does have its funny moments. Next, let's talk about Kim's Convenience. It's about a Korean family that lives in Toronto, Canada. They show clips of the city of Toronto throughout the show, and it kind of looks dirty and gross, but... I've never been there. I've heard it's actually dirty and gross in real life, so I don't know. (laughs) If anybody listens, please please don't be offended. But So Mr. and Mrs. Kim own a convenience store. They have a daughter named Janet who wants to be a photographer and a son named Jung who's estranged from them. It's mostly a comedy with a bit of drama. I say it's kind of innocent. Like I don't think there would be really much harm showing this to your kids. What maybe like one or two episodes aren't appropriate because there's like some sexual tension or hinted at having sex or something like that, but they don't actually show anything. 
The first season shows the family members' relationships with each other and with others. There's Jung's relationship with his manager, Shannon, and his best friend, Kimchi. Janet's relationship with her parents and her friends. The episodes always start with a short intro, which usually has a joke in it that may or may not be related to the whole episode. Like, for example, in the first episode, Mr. Kim offers a gay discount to not seem homophobic, and this is shown throughout the episode. Other episodes' intro is not always related. I'm watching this on Netflix, and where the show left things, like in the most current season, everything is just kind of up in the air. This is a really good show, and it consistently makes me laugh. It's actually based on a play by the same name, but I couldn't find much else about it. I would highly recommend you watch this. I give it a 10 out of 10. Now, on to Schitt's Creek. Did you know Schitt's Creek is Canadian? Well, it is made by a Canadian company, and uh, some of the actors in it are Canadian. I I don't know if everybody on the show is Canadian, but yeah. So it's a comedy show about the Rose family who were actually quite wealthy. They ended up losing all their money and they have to go live in a small town called Schitt's Creek. So the dad bought this town for his son as a gift. The show was created by Eugene and Dan Levy who also star as the father and son on the show. In the show, after they've been informed that the town has been in the market for a very long time and that it was a miracle that it was even bought in, uh, Johnny Rose, played by Eugene Levy, decides to make some changes to the town. He also is trying to start a business, get some money in, you know, just trying to figure things out. His appropriately aged wife, Moira, played by Catherine O'Hara, is a former famous actress who seems to wear a lot of wigs. The show kind of focuses on her budding friendship with the mayor's wife, though that kind of goes to the sidelines after a while, and then it focuses on her getting involved in the town council. Daniel Levy plays David Rose, a pansexual who is very fashionable. His part of the show focuses first on him finding work and then his friendship with the motel manager named Stevie. Then later, he ends up opening his own business. So in the beginning of the show, you're wondering if his friendship with Stevie is going to blossom into romance or will they just be close friends? But, you know, you got to watch the show to find out. Alexis Rose, played by Annie Murphy, seems to be more focused on love at least at first. She has a shallow crush on the mayor's son named Mutt. However, she ends up pursuing a relationship with a town vet named Ted. Who is she going to end up with? Uh, I st- I'm still not sure, I'm, but time will tell. She also ends up getting a job and going back to school because I-, I think she wants to go to college or something. A lot of the comedy in the show is about stuck-up rich people who are really entitled being broke and living in a small town. As they're there, their relationships with each other and the townspeople evolves into something more more emotional, more strong, and they mature as people and become more, more likable throughout the show. 
I do find the show to be really entertaining and I'm able to follow along while I cook dinner or do the dishes so that's pretty great. I give this show an 8 out of 10 just for the likability and the ease of watch. I'm currently on the fourth season and that's only after a week so you know it's good. Next up we have Letter Kenny. It's another comedy and it revolves around the residents of a small town called Letterkenny. It mostly focuses on Wayne, a farmer who normally hangs out at home or at a bar or in front of a produce stand at his farm. He hangs out with his buddy Daryl, who at first seems to like hanging out with the church youth group. They often drink beer together. Um, I have to say he seems kind of old to be hanging out at the youth group, but maybe that's a joke. Then uh, there's Squirrely Dan, who often tells really crazy stories and is a pretty funny guy. And I don't know if he can fart on command or if that's just a sound effect they put in. I, I don't know if it's possible to fart on command, but... Then his sister Katie, who is extremely pretty, and she seems to go from guy to guy. She first hangs out with a couple of hockey dudes and she seems to be dating both of them at the same time. Then she gets involved with this goth guy who's also a drug addict. She seems to have a really close bond with her brother and their friends. I have to warn you, this is a fast-talking comedy, so if you watch this, you really gotta pay attention when you're watching, or you may miss something. Surprisingly, this series started on YouTube, but then they got commissioned and aired on the Comedy Network. This is currently streaming on Hulu, so you can watch it there. The seasons only have six episodes, so it should be an easy binge. Also... Also, at some point, Katie says hockey players have the nicest butts, and I can confirm that. I give this show an 8 out of 10. Next up, we have The Handmaid's Tale. It's done by a Canadian studio, and the book it's based on is by the popular Canadian author, Margaret Atwood. I decided to give this show a try. I know a lot of people have recommended it to me, but I've never seen it before. It's about a woman who is living in the future in, I, I'm not sure if it's America or Canada, but the country ends up being taken over by a religious faction. Women end up losing all their rights and are categorized into different positions our star of the show, June, is a handmaid. Handmaids are given the task to go into families where it is assumed the wife is barren and to bear a child for the man of the house. During the day where she is most fertile, they call this the ceremony, she is raped by the man of the house while laying between the wife's legs. June's name is taken away and they call her Offred. She's the second Offred of the household. They previously had another one. Women are considered less in this society and are basically just property. There's flashbacks throughout the show showing her former life with her friend Moira, who is later killed, and her husband Luke, who is also implied to be dead at the beginning of the show. She has a daughter who has been taken away from her. 
she is chosen as a handmaid as she had already given birth to a healthy child. She is focused on trying to survive with hope that she will one day escape, this will all be over, and she will be together again with her baby. Her child was quite young when she was taken away and June worries she may not remember her if they're ever reunited which is a valid concern. The story is very dark. There's a character at the beginning named Ulf Glenn, who is a lesbian. She befriends June, and they go shopping together every day. She talks about the good old days, and she's trying to get a resistance together. She is later taken away and is seen... I'm assuming they do a female genitalia mutilation on her to prevent her from having sexual desire, which I don't know if that would work, but I don't really, un- I don't understand how that works. So I don't, I don't know if that would take away all sexual desire, but then there's another character named Nick who is a servant to the commander at June's house. Nick is showing as being kind and there is like some really strong tension between him and June. He seems to hate what he's going through. He seems to be lower status than a lot of the other men. He's often seen just doing manual labor or driving people around. This is a hard show to watch. I had to watch it in really small doses. It has a really good story, so I think it is worth checking out if you can handle how dark it is. I personally can't. It's not a show that I can personally binge. So next, let's talk about movies. I rewatched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I haven't seen this movie in years, and I didn't really remember it, to be honest. It stars Michael Sarah as Scott. Scott is 22, and he is dating a 17-year-old girl in high school. Now, I don't know what the age of consent in Canada is, but this is kind of gross. I... Don't know why anybody that is an adult would want to date a high schooler. I personally don't see the appeal. I think they look like babies. And honestly, most of my celebrity crushes are men who are in their late 30s to mid 50s. I'm just saying when my future husband gets old, I'm, I'm not going to kick him out of bed. I just don't get the appeal of dating someone that young. Even when I was in my early 20s, it was a no-go for me. So Scott ends up having this dream of this chick. We later find out her name is Ramona Flowers. He ends up meeting her in real life and becomes obsessed with her. Like during this time, he doesn't break up with his girlfriend. We get a bit of a background on him that he dated a lot of chicks, and I'm over here thinking, how? He's not good looking, he lives with his roommate, he doesn't seem to have a job, he also seems to be kind of dumb and immature, so I don't get how he's getting all these chicks, but okay. Anyway, he kind of checks out of his relationship and pursues Ramona. The relationship kind of starts off kind of weird. He pressures her to go out with him and won't sign for his package that she delivers till she agrees. He then spends the night with Ramona 
and eventually breaks up with Knives, his girlfriend. Didn't mention her name before, sorry. So he finds out that in order to date Ramona, he has to fight her seven evil exes. One of her exes is played by the very handsome Chris Evans. He's one of my top three celebrity crushes. I don't know if I'd actually find him attractive though, because I've never met him, but, but he looks good. So he fights a few more of her evil exes. One is a chick and he doesn't want to fight her because I guess he can't hit a girl. Another battle, he has a battle of the bands. Oh, I, I didn't mention this. He's in a band. I'm not going to spoil too much of the story in case you've never seen it. But at some point, Scott tells Ramona he's in lesbians with her, meaning he's in love with her. And based on Ramona's hair, which we find out she dies every week and a half, which I'm thinking wouldn't her hair be really damaged? But anyway, at this point is his confession. It has maybe been four and a half weeks into the relationship. Like, cool your jets, dude. So this movie, is it worth watching? It's entertaining. I like the music. I also like that they have all these video game graphics and comic details added to real life situations. I also like just how the movie seems to be shot. The transition into different scenes is kind of creative at times. I give this movie a 7 out of 10. It's not great, but it's not bad. A lot of the parts I liked about the movie weren't directly related to the plot or anything. Little side note on this, I've played the Scott Pilgrim game, and it's a really fun couch co-op game, and I would recommend it. Like, if you want to play something with friends, it's a good game. The game seems to be very strongly inspired by the Nintendo game River City Ransom, which is also couch co-op and currently on the Nintendo app. So if you have a Switch and Nintendo Online, check it out. Next up, we have The Willoughbys. This is an animated movie, and it's definitely for kids. There's not a real whole lot to this movie. It was done and created by some Canadians, so that's why it's here in this podcast episode. It's an absolutely gorgeous movie. I love the animation. I didn't really find it funny, it could be a bit entertaining, and it's not that long of a movie. If you really appreciate art like I do, you might be into it. I love the textures and details that go into a lot of the scenery and the clothes. Some of the characters have yarn for hair, and that's just like really cute. So the story is about the Willoughby children. You have Tim who is very skeptical and wants to get rid of his parents, Jane, who loves to sing and is very sweet. Then you have the twins, who are both named Barnaby, who are very inventive. The story is about them having neglectful parents. At some point, an orphan is dropped off at their door, and the kids are kicked out until they get rid of it. They bring it to the end of the rainbow, which turns out to be this amazing candy factory where a man named Commander Melanoff lives. The kids, after dropping this child off, hatch a plan to get rid of their terrible parents by sending them off on this dangerous long adventure abroad. 
the parents are really selfish and shown only caring about each other. I really feel bad for these kids. I've said it once, I'll say it again. Why have kids if you don't want them? Don't bring kids into the world if you're not going to give them the love and attention they deserve. So anyway, they send their parents off on this adventure. Their parents, in turn, hire this amazing nanny named Linda. She treats the kids very well. She feeds them very healthy food. And she takes care of them and loves them. I think the moral of this story is your family is not always the one you're given. It can sometimes be the one you find. It's a really easy movie to watch, but not amazing. I give the, the story a 6 out of 10 and the animation a 9 out of 10. This is definitely a kid's movie and I feel like kids would appreciate it more. On to our next movie. What's more Canadian than a hockey movie? I watched Goon, which is a comedic telling of a story about a guy named Doug who goes from being a bouncer to a hockey player. There's not much to the story. It has a few funny jokes. You have sweet, lovable, dumb Doug, who prior to being a hockey player, confides in his friend that he doesn't have a thing and he wishes he does. He ends up getting attention from a coach by getting into a fight and knocking out this hockey player. The hockey player uses a homophobic slur and Doug gets mad and is like, my brother is gay, then beats the shit out of the guy. There are some decent funny moments in the story, but eventually it evolves into just your typical underdog sports story. There's a bit of romance with a chick named Ava who Doug gets like this huge crush on after meeting at a bar. There's some rivalry with the hockey players, some friendship. It's kind of sad that Doug doesn't seem to have his support from his family to play hockey. The story is actually based on a true story of a hockey player named Doug Smith. He played the role of an enforcer on a hockey team. This is an easy movie to watch, but it's not amazing. I got bored near the last 40 minutes of the movie. I give it a 6 out of 10. It's like they took one of the best parts of hockey, which is the fighting, and just made a movie out of it. Mark Andre Grandin, if you're listening to this, I think you're really hot. Call me. Just joking. I know nothing about you, but uh, if you're funny and geeky, do you call me? Because that seems to be my type. So I was wondering, are there any games I have access to or have played that are Canadian? Turns out there's one. There's this amazing game called Cuphead. It's a platformer, and if you're really good at recognizing patterns, you'll be really good at this game. A lot of the battles in the game are boss battles. I do okay at this game, but I'm not great. What's awesome about this is it's two-player couch co-op, so you can play with friends. The game took four years to make. The story is about Cuphead and his brother Mugman, who end up owing a gambling debt to the devil. The two end up going around fighting debtors to obtain soul contracts so they can either fight against the devil or turn them in. The devil says if they collect all these, they will be able to live. 
I couldn't manage beating the end at all. I just ended up watching one of my friends play it and beat the whole game. The thing I really love about this game though is not the game itself, it's the art style. It's like an old school Disney movie. The background in the game are watercolor art. The characters are all hand drawn. The art style in this game is just so beautiful. The game actually won a best game of the year in 2017. The studio that owns the game is Studio MDHR. It's run by two brothers who grew up playing video games and decided to make their own. Red Bull Gaming has a really cool behind-the-scenes video you should watch. Apparently, there's going to be a spin-off show of this game on Netflix. I'm definitely looking forward to watching the show, and if you're not into gaming, at least check it out. You might enjoy it. The show hasn't been released yet, so I can't really say if it's good or not, but I will be on the lookout for once it is. So, Canadian music. I don't really listen to a lot of Canadian music, but I had to think, are there any musicians that are Canadian that I already know? And yes, there is. Arcade Fire is an indie rock band. They're also rather popular. A lot of their YouTube videos have millions of views. I find their songs to be kind of relaxing to listen to, but I haven't heard every song. I personally like Put Your Money On Me. I, I find most of their songs to just be okay. I'd have to be in a certain mood to want to sit and listen to them. They're not something I just like listen to out of the blue. They don't have any tour dates scheduled right now. They did announce, however, that they're currently working on new music. Next up, we have Billy Talent, another rock band, and they're a bit more my thing because I do tend to listen to harder music. I've listened to a lot of their songs. My favorite? Well, I had to think about this and re-listen to some of their stuff. So yeah, I guess no surprise here that I ended up picking Chasing the Sun. The song was inspired by the passing of the drummer's brother who is also a strong supporter for finding the cure for MS as he was diagnosed with it a while back. Truthfully, I haven't heard a Billy Talent song I've disliked, and they're definitely worth checking out if you're into the rock genre. They are touring internationally in 2021, but unfortunately they're not coming to America. I couldn't find any recent interviews with these guys. They do have a website called Billy Talent Charity Trust where they list out a bunch of charities that you can donate to help kids in need. If we're talking about Canadian musicians, we can't forget Avril Lavigne. She was really popular in the early 2000s. There's even a conspiracy that she died and was replaced by somebody else. She's tried her hand at fashion design, acting, painting, cooking. You know, she seems to try a lot of different things. I enjoy her music, but I mostly listen to her older stuff. However, her recent song, Head Above Water, is pretty good. It actually became popular on the Christian radio, though I'm, I'm not sure if she's Christian. She has said she's very spiritual, but I don't, I don't know what that means. She hasn't done much else in the recent years. Uh, she had a battle with Lyme disease and that kind of put her off from doing music for a bit. Her newer stuff is decent. Different, but decent. My favorite song of hers is her song, I'm With You, which came out in 2002. Are there any Canadian books I was able to get a hold of? Why, yes, there was. 
So I read All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Toes. Let me start by saying I'm not a fan of modern fiction. I prefer fantasy and sci-fi. However, I was just like, I'll take what I can get just for the sake of the podcast. So this book came out in 2014. It won the Rogers Writers Trust Fiction Award. The story is about Yolandi and Elfrida, two sisters who grew up in a Mennonite community. Yolandi is the main character, but there is a lot of focus on her sister. Elf is a pianist who struggles with depression. She's tried to kill herself multiple times. Her favorite tactic is starving herself. Elf is a spirited woman. She is a successful pianist who was just about to go on tour. She's happily married, but she says she struggles with loneliness. Like she has a glass piano inside of her that she's afraid is going to break. Yolandi is a single mother with two kids. She's had many unsuccessful relationships. She works as an author, but is told by her publicists that her books about a rodeo girl need to be revamped, as modern girls living in the city can't relate to such a character. She's at a loss of what to do with her sister's struggles, but she keeps trying. Elf gets sent home from the mental hospital despite her family's wishes. Sadly, this story is somewhat autobiographical, as the author's sister and father both committed suicide after struggles with depression. Part of the issues addressed in this book is the poorness of the Canadian mental health system, where the author says the workers are more concerned about enforcing rules than showing compassion. I think mental health issues are often very difficult to address in fiction. Oftentimes it is portrayed in a negative way, and yes, it is a negative thing, so I understand. I feel like, you know, stories should possibly try to give hope and make things better. It's kind of a taboo subject, which is part of the reason why I picked this one to read. So what did I think of this book? Well, well, it's very sad, and it doesn't end happily. I think if you're of sound mind and have and have the ability to read something that's very difficult to read, you should check it out or listen to it. There is an audiobook. Otherwise, I would not recommend it if if you're sensitive to subjects like this. So that wraps up a bunch of Canadian things. I don't know if any of the stuff you heard about in this episode would be anything you're interested in, but if you are, you should check some of the things out. Like, a lot of it is pretty good. Will I be doing more themed episodes in the future? Possibly. It gives me some direction to find things to check out. I noticed with these Canadian shows and movies in particular, which I did not mention, but there's a lot of overlap in the people acting in them. Kim and Scott Pilgrim and Ava and Goon are both played by Allison Pill. Eugene Levy, who plays the dad in Goon, is also the dad in Schitt's Creek. Amanda Bruegel, who plays Pastor Nina Gomez in Kim's Convenience, is also Rita in The Handmaid's Tale and Sonia in Working Moms. It's cool that Canada has its own actors and actresses that are popular and featured in multiple things. So, did the podcast get any emails? No. So, I have nothing to review from that. I did have somebody ask me to join their app, but it was probably just spam. 
That's our show for today. Take care.